Lord Jesus, we come before you today as as uh, your people. We are the sheep of your pasture and your sheep only hear your voice and they follow you because well, you're the only voice they hear. They don't listen to other voices because they don't belong to those other voices, but we are yours. So speak to us, Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear your voice only and then give us the feet and the hands and the desire to follow you. So lead us this morning. We are yours. Chief Shepherd, lead your people. Move among us, mobilize us, equip us to stay on the mission. And we pray this for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. I'm going to read it for you. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen. This prayer is a prayer for strength. It's a prayer for love. And it's a prayer for fullness. And as we look at the introduction to this prayer. I think it's important to recognize. Paul really starts praying. Back in chapter 1. Verse 15, as he introduces his prayer, and in verse 17, he begins to voice his prayer for them through the end of the chapter in verse 23. And then in chapter 2, as we recapped last week, Paul begins to to unpack through hints in chapter 2 the mystery of the gospel. And he comes to chapter 3 and he begins his prayer again, and he's interrupted by the need to come back and make sure we fully understand explicitly The mystery of the gospel. And then he picks back up his prayer in verse 14 of chapter 3. And so Paul in this really very lengthy prayer. And his prayer has been interrupted with the need to explain the mystery of the gospel. In this prayer Paul is helping us to receive and understand through the ministry of prayer. And to get a grasp on the hope that we have, the confidence we have in God's saving and reconciling power. And bringing all things underneath Christ. And then he comes to this beautiful reality now where he is going to, through prayer, help us to see and receive the climactic work of the gospel in strength and love and in fullness. And he begins in verse 14, the ending of his prayer, which is the climax of the prayer, with this beautiful statement when he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul wants to convey something powerful here in the final parts of this prayer. And he is prostrating himself, and in prostrating himself, laying down before God, because the common way for a Jewish person to pray was standing, hands lifted to the Lord. 
He has prostrated himself. He has bowed himself before the Lord. And he is showing in his gesture of worship, in the homage he's paying, that he is bowing before a powerful king. He wants to convey the reality of God's power. And he wants us to see that he is kneeling before the king who is able to affect everything he's asking for. Therefore, giving us great confidence that the, the Father, the one who is all-powerful, the King before whom He is kneeling, is able to affect everything He's about to pray. So as we come to this prayer, we are to see and feel in verse 14 of chapter 3 that this prayer isn't just words coming out of the mouth of Paul, but it is in his posture, kneeling before a King who is powerful and able to affect everything being asked for. So I want you to feel the confidence in this prayer that what Paul is asking for and what we're going to ask for this morning will be done. It will be done. There's no wondering. There's no no guessing. There's no, gosh, I hope so. This will be done. The Father before whom he kneels is able and he's a great king and he will pull this off. But we also got to remember something very important in the imagery Paul is giving us here. That this kneeling before the good Father who is able and powerful is the one who really is sovereign over the peoples. He says here, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. For God to have the right to name is displaying and proclaiming the fact that God has power over. We name our children, right? And what does that signify? It signifies that we have authority over. In the Bible, to name is to signify that you have authority over. Okay? Every family named after the God who made them. Here's here's Paul's intention. Not only am I kneeling before a powerful king who can affect this change, but I'm kneeling before the king who's father. In other words, he has authority as the namer over all families. And if he has the authority as namer over all families, he is certainly able to affect this at the very micro level, at the family level. Here's the point Paul wants you to get. This is a surefire deal. So you are to feel... Confidence. Let's say it again. You are to feel confidence that what Paul is about to ask for the Ephesians and what we are about to ask for us will be done. No wondering. Just experiencing it as grace from the powerful Father who's sovereign over every family and is named because He has the right over them. When the Jews spoke of God as Father, they meant He ruled the world. And that world owed Him its obedience. So as the Lord rules over us, and as we pray, God affects strength, love, and fullness, which we're about to see. Very important in the introduction of this prayer. Paul specifically here is about to pray for the Ephesians' strength, love, and fullness because that's precisely what they're going to need in order to make war and make the war necessary to grow into one body. And we looked at this last week, these Jew and Gentile that have now been brought together under the headship of Christ, this formerly two that is now one, are going to need 
strength. They're going to need love and they're going to need fullness to make war in their rebellion against the rebellion so that the church would come under the headship of Christ. So perhaps for us, we can carry away from this prayer the needed strength to be one under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps we too will carry away an increased love for each other as the Lord commanded. And perhaps too we'll carry away the need for all the fullness of God at work in us to collide with culture and make disciples. Before we launch into this prayer and before I ask some of you to voice this prayer to the Father, let's get a little adjustment on our mentality of prayer before we launch into Paul's prayer. Sometimes it helps us to think on prayer a little bit before we pray. Prayer, and this is a little my definition. If you're following the notes, this is, this is my definition of prayer. Because like nowhere in like second opinions, chapter 1, verse 23, does the Bible give us like this concise definition of prayer. So this is my best effort here with lots of resources coming together. And here it is. Prayer is communication with God and His divinely created and wired means of getting the mission of the kingdom done and restoring all things back under the headship of Christ. Communication with God and His appointed means and created wired means of getting the mission of the kingdom done and restoring all things back under the headship of Christ. Prayer. Jesus in Matthew 6, 5-15 gave us some very practical things to do when it comes to praying. Just keep in mind, you don't... Pray to be heard by others. The greatest temptation in community is pray so that that other person over there thinks you're really spiritual. Right? And the longer you pray, obviously, the more spiritual you are. Right? So, no, we don't pray to be heard by others. Jesus said, if you pray so that anybody else in the room thinks you're spiritual, that's your reward. Done. Father hasn't. That's not not happening. Hit the ceiling. Right? Sometimes maybe we think our prayers hit the ceiling is because maybe we're praying to be heard. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. So this morning as we pray, we don't pray so that others think we're spiritual. We have one audience. And it's the king before whom Paul is kneeled. The father after whom every family on the face of the earth is named. The one who has the sovereign right over his creation to affect what we are praying. So we don't pray to be heard by others. We do pray to be heard by the father. Remember, our audience... His Father. And so we do pray to be heard by Him. Don't pray to inform God. Don't spend time telling God what He already knows. Jesus said, He knows what you need before you ask. So pray like this. And He gave you the framework, right? So you don't need to inform Him. Lord, I just need to tell you what's going on today. No, no, no. He knows. So the good news is you can skip right to the need. Jesus, we need you right now. That's probably a much more spiritual prayer than some of the other junk I've uttered in front of other people's ears, right? So I don't have to inform him. And then he says something very important here. And Jesus tells us, don't pray like believers of false religions in their constant repetition. Not repetition in the sense of coming back to the Lord and perseverance in prayer, but repetition is in the same setting, unnecessarily chanting the same phrase over and over again, i.e., Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Jesus said, don't pray like that. 
They prayed all day, over and over again, over and over again, asking for the same thing because Baal wasn't listening. So they started cutting themselves, thinking, oh, Baal needs to see blood. We don't have to pray like unbelievers. And you know what? That, I, aren't we so guilty? I'm so, particularly when it comes like I'm confessing the Lord's make sure you heard. Let me get in the right position. And like for the 23rd time, would you forgive me? Because I just want to make sure he heard. Jesus said, don't do that. I know what you need before you ask. Because by repeating it over and over again in the same setting, it's not getting God's attention any better than you already have it. He's Father, and He loves you, and He's hearing, and He's able to affect all things according to the counsel of His good will. So just come and ask. Okay? Make sense? By the way, that makes prayer more fun. That I'm not trying to get God's attention. Caught my kids when I'm watching a game. Like, dad, 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 shut up! Dad, 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 shut up! Dad, 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 be quiet, I can't hear the announcer. No, that's not the Father. It's not the Father. We don't have to get His attention. His attention is on you in Christ. And you don't have to warm Him up. You don't have to butter Him up. You don't have to sugar Him up. You don't have to pray Him into the right attitude and mentality. You don't have to inform Him. You just come and bring to Him the need. So when we come and ask this morning, that's how I want you to ask Him, okay? And I tell you that not because that pleases me, that's just what Jesus said. Alright? We want to obey the Lord Jesus. So what did Paul pray for this Ephesian church? Well, as I shared with you already in verse 14 and 15, we learned that we're praying to a powerful king who is a good father, who has the power and right and authority to affect what we're asking. So, confidence, number one. All right, we have confidence. What is the content of this prayer? What is the content of this prayer? Well, verse 16 through the first part of verse 17, here's what Paul begins to pray. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, in your inner being, comma. In most of your translations, and I've been about as thorough as I can be this week, start verse 17 with a, a purpose clause, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'm going to kind of stick on my notes here for a second to kind of walk you through that so that, because it's important. So tune in, okay? If you tuned out, tune in, or you're going to be confused. All right? Hang. All right? So that in verse 17 is supplied in English. It's not in the Greek text. It's supplied due to the tense of the following verb, dwell. All right. Now as a translator and doing my seminary work and kind of focusing on the biblical languages, I, I got frustrated by supplying words in English. I prefer it to be ugly and raw. Even as, even as a dyslexic guy, I'd rather it be ugly and raw and logically work my way through it than you to work my way through it and you and I have different ways of coming at stuff. You know what I'm saying? So this is, by the way, just this is why, this is why preaching the Bible and pastors doing their job in the text is vital. Don't assume this stuff. Does that make sense? Part of our job is to open the Word and help you walk through some of these passages so that as you go read them, you have that skill too. So you, you understand? So I'm not just trying to throw things on you. I want you to make sense of this, okay? 
The little rendering is probably better than the ESV, the NIV, the NASB. They all do the same thing. They put that blasted purpose clause there, and it's just not in the text. It is supplied based on the tense of the verb to dwell. The problem with the so that there in your translations and in mine is that it gives you the feeling that Jesus will only dwell in my heart through faith if I'm strengthened by his power in my inner being. Do you get the logical implication of that so that? That you may be strengthened in your inner being according to the riches of His glory. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, Christ dwelling in my heart through faith is a result of me being strengthened in my inner being. That's not what Paul's saying. It's not what Paul's saying. Let me give you the literal translation. I got to use my Greek this week. This is beautiful. Master's degree came in handy. Here's your, here it is. Literally. Here's your literal rending. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, comma, Christ, it's an infinitive, Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith. The idea is that because Christ dwells in us through faith, we can be strengthened with power through the Spirit, who is Christ dwelling in us through faith. And this is according to the riches of His glory. Really, it's just parallel statements. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, The Bible tells us this over and over again. This is not an anomaly. This is just right in the text. He dwells in our hearts through faith. And as a result, He grants us to be strengthened in our inner being by the Spirit according to the riches of His glory. Does that make sense? Tracking? In other words, you don't need to get Jesus to dwell in your heart through faith by being strengthened outside of Jesus. That's not Paul's point. You read enough Paul, you know that. He's making parallel statements. In other words, he's saying the same thing. You guys know what parallel statements are? Like you ever read the Proverbs? He just said the same thing twice using different words. Yes! That's on purpose, so you get the point. He repeated himself, and as a teacher, we get this, right, educators? We have to say it 20 times. Why? Because they're not listening. Right? So you say it again every morning. 8 o'clock to 9.55, I take 7th grade boys, and I say it a hundred times. And on the hundred and first, Mr. Jolly, Mr. Jolly, what would you say? What page are we on? And, and oh, Breathe deeply, right? So that's what Paul's doing. It's a parallel statement. He's saying the same thing in a different way to get the point across. And the point is, because Jesus dwells in our hearts through faith, we have the available riches of God's glory and powerful strength through the indwelling Spirit. And Paul is praying that that be affected in us. Not just words we hear with our ears. Oh, I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, and I have the riches of God available to me that are according to His glory. Great. So what? Paul is praying that that information would be effective in our experience in the body. In other words, in order for the Ephesian church to have Jew and Gentile dwell together in one body, they're going to need the indwelling Christ to make it happen. They are going to need to be strengthened to walk through the differences that are among them Because they can't get over them by themselves. Right? If we could, the church would not be segregated. 
You tracking? You feeling it? So he's praying, Jesus is in you. And in this mystery of the gospel, he's bringing all things under the headship of Christ, including Jew and Gentile. He's bridging the gap. He's making the two one. You can't do that on your own, Ephesians. So I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family is named, the great King who can affect this. And may you be strengthened from the inside out to live this out. That's the prayer. It's the prayer. Lest you think you've done this, look around the West. We need this strength. We need strength to do the mission. It's easy to get off mission. It's easy to get off point. It's easy to get off target. Right? If if you've got ten dudes in a landing craft... I don't know how many, I'm not sure how we're on landing craft on D-Day. Let's just say 10 for easy math, because me and numbers aren't friends. So, easy math, 10. And you got one guy who wanted to stay on the ship. But nine said, Omaha is the goal. You got a divided mission. Ain't going to work. What you got to do, you got to be on mission together, go in the same direction. We as a body, if you looked around, there are all different people in this room. We've got one mission. This is why we've been talking about our DNA and our mission, where we're going. You shoot an arrow. Anybody bow hunt in here? Okay, we've got one bow hunter, right? When you're bow hunting, do you shoot your arrow at two targets? You can't. You have one arrow. It's going in one direction. You have to hit a target. In order for us, all these different people, different arrows, to hit one target, we've got to be going in the same direction. Make sense? We need Jesus to pull that off. Just so you know, the church is not possible on our own. There is no strategy that can overcome the distinctions in the body of Christ. There isn't one. There's no book that can pull it off. The only way that happens is to be strengthened in our inner man by the indwelling Holy Spirit to be one under the mission of Jesus. That's a supernatural work that cannot happen apart from Jesus pulling it off. We need strength to do life. We need strength to persevere in it. We need strength to realize it's worth persevering in. We need strength to resist the evil one. We need strength to have courage. The real question is, how is this strength realized? Well, we're strengthened through prayer. We're strengthened through praying. We're strengthened through praying together. We're strengthened by asking for this strength to stay on mission together. Think this through with me for a second. If we need to pray for strength to bring everything under the headship of Christ, then what do you think the temptation might be? To disobey. To stay off mission. To get off mission because this is easier. It's easier to do it this way. The temptation may be to just bypass the mission. The temptation may be to do it on our own. The temptation may be to find a slick strategy. 
So if Paul had to pray that they would be strengthened to pull off the mystery of the gospel, then the temptation would be, quit. Just go back to being segregated. Go back to being separate. Go back to having multiple missions. And just just do whatever you want to do. So therefore, the prayer must be that we would be strengthened through the indwelling Christ to be obedient to the mission. Application time. Ready? I need somebody, not a pastor. Somebody, not one of our elders. To voice. You don't have to stand up. There's no microphone because we don't need your voice. You have one audience. We believe you're a priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You have equal access to the Father. Awesome. God hears you too. Right? No different than me. Right? So here's what I need. I need somebody to voice a prayer for strength. Don't get crazy now. Like, I mean, mean, what I'm saying, don't don't have to like pray for 20 minutes. He knows what we need before we ask. We need strength. Would you voice a sentence prayer for strength for us as a fellowship that we would be this? Just by the way, when we pray for his stuff, it's done. It's foregone conclusion. Our problems with prayer is not that God doesn't answer. Our problem is we pray for stuff Jesus doesn't teach us to pray or Jesus teaches us not to pray for. That's our problem. Pray for his stuff. Yes. It's a means of getting ministry done. That's the way Jesus made it. So, we're all going to bow our head and close our eyes. If nobody prays, I'm going to stay here until somebody prays. And if we get through one point, we'll pick up point two next week. But I want you to exercise your priesthood and ask the Father for strength for us as a fellowship. You want to do that? I'm going to bow my head, close my eyes. The Bible doesn't say do that. You can pray eyes open, whatever you want to do. But I'm going to do that so that you don't think I'm looking at you. I want you to be comfortable. It doesn't matter. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Whew. He hears. He hears. Number two, what's the second thing Paul prays for here? In verse 17, the second part of verse 17 through the first part of verse 19, Paul voices a prayer for the church to know how much we're loved and to continue in that love for one another. Listen, listen to this. That you... Being rooted and grounded in love. May have the strength to comprehend. With all the saints. With all the saints. What is the breadth, length, height, and depth. And to know the love of Christ. That surpasses knowledge. Mm. Paul voices a prayer for us. For the Ephesians. That we would know how much we are loved and that we would continue to love one another that way. I think it's important to note that the church must be founded on love. 
Notice that verse 17, the second part, actually starts with a purpose clause. It's the henna, henna is the so that, the henna clause is actually in the text. So the purpose clause is important here. It's actually there. It's not supplied. That you being rooted and grounded in love. You plural, you the church being rooted and grounded in love. Because these saints have followed the Lord Jesus, they are obeying the Lord Jesus. And they are rooted and grounded in love. He uses an agricultural term. The roots have sunk deeply into love. This body, this alive branch is rooted deeply in the vine. Vital to the life of the church is its love for each other. John's going to write later to the church at Ephesus in Revelation that they had abandoned the love they had at first. Jesus' rebuke of them later on is that this love they're rooted and grounded in has faded. Jesus writes to them to repent and love one another like they did at first. This multi-ethnic church on the frontier of the mission, for them, love would be essential. Jesus would say this in John, By this all people will know you're my disciples. If your doctrine is sound. Oh, do we believe in sound doctrine? Darn tootin'. Don't bring any weak stuff up in here. Y'all slap that out. Boom! I'll be like Al Horford in the paint. Gone. No. Don't bring that weak sauce up in here. No, we believe in sound doctrine. But is the church rooted and grounded in sound doctrine? No. It's rooted and grounded in love. Jesus said, they will know your mind by how you love each other. John's going to say in 1 John that love is how we know we're in the faith. The church has to be rooted and grounded in love. The church is not rooted and grounded in its mission first. We're not rooted and grounded in our mission, number one. Is the mission important? You bet it's important. For the glory of God, build the church, local, global, being, producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. It's a radical follower of Jesus Christ. Somebody's abiding in the vine, up, in, and out. That's us. Right? But that's not first. We can't be on mission together if we don't. Exactly. you got to love each other. We have to be rooted and grounded in love. And here's the theological reason. Here's, here's why. It's not just a practical issue. It's a theological issue. We have to be rooted and grounded in love because Father has loved us. And that love made for us a mission. God is love. John will say. And so therefore, we love not because it's a good idea. We love because God's nature consists in it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are intimately connected through love. And in community, we love because God loves. That's why we have to be rooted and grounded in Trinitarian community. Because God is love. And when we love, we then have a mission because God's love created a mission. Man, we love first, then we have a mission. 
The church is not rooted and grounded in its detection of false teaching. We must detect false teaching. We must test the spirits to see whether they are from the Lord. We've got to be rooted and grounded in love. If we love false teachers, we will correct them. Because we don't want them to go to hell. The church is rooted and grounded in its love for each other, reflecting the love of the Father. So we've got to be rooted and grounded in love. The Father's love here is rich. It's rich. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth, the love of Christ. It surpasses knowledge. The Father's love is rich. If we need the strength to comprehend that, what's the temptation going to be? That we won't comprehend it. That we'll forget He loves us. That we'll forget His love is rich. We're to enjoy the infinite love of Christ. He gives us four magnitudes here. He prays we'd have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. And they're, they're, this is important here. Um, super important here. Um, and I'll get to it in just a moment. But he prays that we, together with all the saints, will be able to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We're to enjoy this infinite love of Christ. Father's love is broad enough to include people from all nations. And if we love God, we will love people from all nations. There will be no distinction in the body. But will be one body under the headship of Christ, made up of peoples from all nations. This is why the Great Commission has to be our mission. We did a little workshop yesterday. A little half-day workshop and brought uh, a believing gentleman, Pakistani, who is uh, who works for NAM, and and he did some training on reaching the nations around us. You just go peoplegroup.net is a great little resource, and you can search Floyd County and see the multiple people groups just in your county. Untapped. If you go into a cleaners, a store. For a hotel or motel, chances are they're owned by somebody not American. How cool would it be if our churches started looking like that? Next time you buy gas, don't just breeze in and breeze out. Get to know the people. Make disciples. Because the love of the Lord is rich enough and broad enough that it can include all people or people from all nations. Father's love is long enough to last for eternity. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Jesus' love for you and I will not run out. It's long enough to last for all eternity. It's high enough, 1 John 3, 1 and 2, to take sinners into the kingdom of heaven. And the Father's love is deep enough to send the Lord Jesus to the earth to reach the lowest sinner. Philippians 2, 8. And Paul prays we'd have the strength to get that. Love is a community issue. It's not an individual issue. We're eaten up with the individual bug and we think we're isolated from the community. And we've done enough of that in the past. You go listen to those talks. But notice he says here, 
we have, we have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. Not in your quiet time alone with Jesus. Check that. I mean, is that what it says? With all the saints. You see, what we understand is community is the only place where we can truly full-throttled taste and enjoy love. Love is not to be enjoyed in isolation. It, It can't be. Love is intrinsically outward. It has to be. We understand the magnitude of the Father's love when we sit under the preaching of the Word together. Listen, I've said this to you before, and I'm going to say it again, because I'm about to go get my cup full for a little bit this week. We'll be back uh, Wednesday evening. Um, and I just got a taste of it the other day. I just sat, and we had a Libra Dia, didn't we, Emma? Jesus loves Libra Dias and systematic. Libra Dias Espanol, right? For free day. Yes. Libra Dia, free day. And we had a free day Friday, and I just put Piper's sermon at Passion City a couple of weeks ago from Hebrews chapter 10 up. And I sat, and it was hard for me to sit and not cry in front of my students because that feels like a wuss, so I don't do that. But to sit under the open word being proclaimed just, just causes the soul to delight, feel, enrich. Do not take for granted sitting under the preaching of the word. Not because this is me. I'm, I'm sort of irrelevant to the equation. But in community, under the preaching of the word. There's a dynamic in place here that just the interweb doesn't do justice to. Nothing wrong with the interwebs. I use it. Right? But there's a dynamic when spirit-filled souls are in a room together with the open word being proclaimed over and through them that you can't replace alone in front of a computer screen. You just can't do it. Is it alone in front of the computer screen bad? No, I have to do it. I need to get preached to. But it's something about sitting in the room and Holy Spirit just... And He feels. We understand the magnitude of the Father's love for us and we sit together under the preaching of the Word and together we are built up. Together. We understand the magnitude of the Father's love when we study it together and we discuss it together. Isn't it awesome how God gives insight to other people? Try that. Next time you're together, ask what the Lord's saying to somebody else and let them speak it. Just see what happens. It might get messy. It's okay. We've got some instructions for that in the manual. We understand the magnitude of the Father's love when we share our knowledge and experience of the Father's love with each other. How is it I have tasted the Lord's love this week? How have you tasted the Lord's love this week? And we share that. You're like, ooh, I need to hear that today. Boris, I hadn't felt Jack this week. I'm feeding off of you right now. Please keep talking. Bring it. We understand the magnitude of the Father's love when we receive it from our church. Nothing like being loved by the body. You know the things I've noticed? Those who are intimately connected to the body get intimately reached out to by the body. If you isolate yourself from the body, you know, 
kind of what isolation does. We understand the magnitude of the Father's love when we receive it from each other. We understand the magnitude of the Father's love when our hearts go upward in worship of the Father together. Paul prayed we'd have strength to get that. Need somebody to pray that we would taste the love of the Father and we would show the love of the Father to each other. It's my prayer. Thank you. And then finally, Paul prays a prayer for fullness for the church. A prayer for fullness. This one was hard. This was tough. Because you could take that word fullness and go all TV preacher boy on it and make some stuff up. And probably come up with six or seven good sermons. I ain't going to lie. And I was sitting there going, but that, I'm, no, that's, that's a load. That's hockey, Jolly. That's, you're making stuff up at that point. So I, I did a little search, fullness. And you know where the word fullness shows up again? It shows up in several places, but you know where it shows up again? It shows up in the book of Ephesians. We're studying Ephesians. I wonder if Paul's usage of the word fullness in Ephesians might have some parallel connotation. Think? Maybe. I think so. Paul prays here in verse 19, the second part, he says, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. The purpose clause is actually in place there as well. Paul prays that we will, as a body, have strength to live out the mystery of the gospel. He prays that as a result of being in the gospel, we would love one another and we would love and experience the love of the Lord. And then he prays that we will be full with all the fullness of God. The stated purpose here for their knowing infinite love of the Father is that in knowing that love, they would then be filled up with the fullness of God. What is that fullness? Well, here's the other usage in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Listen to what it says. And he put all things... Under his feet, that is Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, comma, and he modifies body with our word, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What is the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all? The, the church. In the church, we find the community of the kingdom. In the church, in the church, we find the very fullness of the revelation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We get all there is to get of the Father in His body, the church.
That's what that just said. In other words, you can't get all the fullness of God apart from the church. Because in the church, the community of the kingdom, the supernatural work of God is at work in the community of the kingdom and in the individuals of the community of the kingdom. And so if we're going to get full of spiritual gifts, it's not going to happen isolated because the gifts, we've said this before, they're not for our own personal consumption, they're for each other. And so if I want the supernatural work of God at work in my life, I need to be in the the church. I need to be in the church to taste the fullness of God. In the church, we find the powerful work of the Spirit to gift and supply with everything needed for each other. In the church, we find the powerful work of the gospel and it's reconciling us to Father to know Him. He restores the up. In the church, we find the powerful work of the gospel by the Spirit and its sanctifying power to clean us up and unite us together. He restores the end. And in the church, we find the powerful work of the gospel by the Spirit and transforming dead rebels into alive saints and retaking all domains of society and bringing them back under the rule of Christ. He restores the out. In the church. If, if you wonder if we have a high ecclesiology at this church, yes, we do. <laughs> we think highly of the body of Christ because the Bible thinks highly of the body of Christ. She is not to be neglected, she is at the centerpiece. And we spoke of that, Paul said that last week. Where Christ's love is deeply known, a little D.A. Carson quote for you to wrap up. Where Christ's love is deeply known, there He is already exercising His rule, uniting the cosmos and Himself in new creation harmony with God. Amen. Paul closes out, we're going to close out with the doxology of this passage. Not the song of the doxology, which I think we're going to sing in a minute. But he closes out with praise. And all, by the way, all good theology should close with doxology. The study of God is intended to lead us to worship. That's, that's, that's the whole thrust of the Bible. The knowledge of God leads God's people to worship. This is why anybody who studies theology and is cold and dry has not studied theology. They've made an academic exercise out of a spiritual exercise. This is why in our systematic theology class, our textbook ends with a hymn. Every chapter ends with a hymn. Because the study of God should lead to the worship of God. The more we know of Jesus, the more we want to worship Him. That's just kind of the way it is. Read the Psalms. There's 150 of them. Paul has talked about the mystery of the gospel. And he has voiced his prayer for the church at Ephesus. And he comes to the end of this theological, beautiful nugget of chapter 2 and chapter 3 with verse 20 and 21. Now. Now. Right now. Right now. Now to Him. What? To. Like to. To. Who's Him? Who? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God. To Him. Who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. How often do we quote that out of context? We quote that when it comes to getting stuff. We quote that when it comes to winning or when it comes to, you know what I'm saying? 
This right here is about Him bringing us into unity under the head of Jesus. To Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. He is able to unify the church under Christ. Far more than you can imagine. We, even touch. We, we haven't even scratched the surface of what the powerful gospel can do in Rome, Georgia. In the history of the church in Rome, Georgia, we haven't scratched the surface of what Jesus can do. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than you can ask or think. You can't, listen, we haven't even prayed enough to ask for all that we can even imagine. We can't even imagine it, much less ask for it. And He can do far more. Whoa, mind blown. Don't even know what to ask. And you know what? In Romans 8, when we don't know what to ask for, who asked for it for us? Holy Spirit. So do you think God's going to fail to accomplish in us? Where did we start? The Father who is able to fully affect all this. Is this a foregone conclusion? Absolutely. Absolutely. Your job and mine now is to worship. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, which is Christ in us, right? Not us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the powers from God and not from us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To Him be the glory in the church. Not the nonprofit. Not the school, not the business, and the church. So Three Rivers Community Church, you are one small expression of the body of Christ. And I say to you now, to Him who is able to pull this off, make Him big in your praise.